0: All right, for uh, for those who are just joining us, here's what's going on with the Jeff Rubin Jeff Rubin Show uh, basically for the summer. I am teaming up with Mental Floss Magazine, a wonderful publication, to help launch their new podcast and even better you. And furthermore, uh, we are... Re- so that's its own podcast, and you can go subscribe to it. But also, I'm going to be releasing the episodes I'm hosting uh, in this podcast feed, too. So you are about to hear... Uh, episode two of eight weekly episodes that I did with Mental Floss. Uh, And this is another all-time favorite Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show guest of mine. I was really excited uh, to have the opportunity to bring him to a larger Mental Floss audience. Uh, But I want you guys to know, and then we're going to start the episode, but I want you guys to know uh, that there's going to be new guests here that you haven't heard on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, starting next week when we get a little seasonal uh, and we bring on a fireworks expert to talk about kind of what separates good fireworks from great fireworks. But today, we are staying inside, and we're talking about board games. Here we go.
1: This Mental Floss podcast is brought to you by Fiat and the all-new Fiat 500X. Compact Italian style made for American roads with available all-wheel drive, full-speed collision warning, 3D navigation, and European swagger. Learn more at FiatUSA.com or by scheduling a test drive with your local Fiat dealer. The all new Fiat 500X, Italian for crossover.
0: Welcome to An Even Better You, presented by Mental Floss and the Fiat 500X. I am Jeff Rubin, and today we are discussing how to appreciate board games with my guest, Eric Zimmerman. Welcome, Eric. Hello. Glad to be here. Eric, what qualifies you to tell us how to better appreciate board games?
1: Believe it or not, I am a professor of game design.
0: So you teach game design. That's right. And just real quick, how did you come to do that?
1: Well, I am a game designer. I worked in the game industry for about 20 years, mostly the video game industry, but I've made tabletop games and other kinds of games as well. But I am actually a professor in a department of game design at an NYU here in New York City, New York University. We are in Tisch School of the Arts. So for us, game design is kind of shoulder to shoulder with things like film and television and theater and dance and music. It's basically one of humanity's art forms.
0: It would then seem fair to say that you are very good at appreciating board games. And you've appreciated board games most of your life, I have to assume.
1: Yeah, actually, that I got started in board games very young. I remember playing chess when I was, I don't know, th- maybe four or five years old. And I grew up with Dungeons and Dragons and uh, playing games like Risk and uh, inventing my own games at a very young age. So
0: I think most people like games. They're popular. People like games, they're fun. Do you remember, even at a young age, being like, oh, I may be appreciating these at a deeper level than I think the other four and five year olds are?
1: Um, Gosh, that's a good question. I do remember inventing games. Yeah. So like other kids would play with little army men figures, but I would like try and make rules and say we're not just setting them up and moving them like little dolls. So we had things like if the little army figure had a little grenade launcher, you could you could shoot a marble In a certain way. And then if that marble landed, it would knock over another guy. And and if he was, you know, shooting a gun, you could, you could um shoot it straight ahead. But we were using blocks to kind of simulate, you know, ruins and and uh and uh things to hide behind. So so yeah, I I guess that I imposed my game designer sensibility. I think one of the interesting things about games, maybe that's different than film. Or other kinds of media is that if we're here today talking about appreciation, I actually think that to play a game deeply puts you in touch with its structures, the the formal structures of rules and mechanics that that make it up. For example, you could be a film fan or a film buff. And you could be totally into knowing the history of a director and their filmography. You could you could know all about the stars and their lives and that kind of thing. Watch the films, memorize the dialogue in in all the films. That doesn't mean that you understand the 360 degree rule.
0: Mm-hmm. Or the 180, 180 degree, degree
1: rule. 180. I, obviously, I don't even yeah, understand yeah. it. Right? That is
0: that you can't flip the camera. It's just like camera perspective. It doesn't even really. Matter. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's, about camera yeah, but it's
1: it's a thing where like yeah, you have to keep the camera on the same side of two people in dialogue, so it doesn't look like they're they're swapping yeah, left so right. You
0: can maintain some sense of space.
1: I would argue, though, that you even though you can be a film buff, a super fan of film, and not know anything about that kind of editing and camera work stuff. If you become a super fan of games and spend a lot of time with games, playing games, you you do understand the mechanics. You do actually start to unpack the the deeper structures right. of the games. And that, that's one of the interesting things about games because unlike film or music, unless you're making film or music, it's not an activity in the same way that games are an activity. You actually do something.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you draw that line between like being, because most people are a a fan of games. Most people like, you know, they got a few in the closet or whatever. Right. Versus being a super fan of games. What makes you a super fan of games? Not you specifically, but just like, what? what when has someone crossed over?
1: I don't know. I mean, I is there like some kind of list of how, when you become psychologically addicted to something right. or, you know, you're spending too much time or sacrificing your personal personal lives? I, you know, I think the interesting thing about games today is that when I was younger, this idea of a gamer, the kind of caricature of a basement dweller uh, who is sort of all into sci-fi and fantasy, deep, you know, long, complicated games, that's sort of what games were, whether you were talking about D&D or tabletop games or, or computer and video games. Today, I think games come in so many different forms, right? It's sort of like, I think the time will come and like you don't say, I'm a musicer. Right. 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 I'm totally into music. Well, what kind of music do you listen to? You know, how do you how do you how do you appreciate music? Do you go to do you go to shows? Do you go to concerts? Do you um, you know, you're always swapping tunes with your friends um, do you go up to street musicians when they're busking and like buy their CDs? So there's, there's so many ways to enjoy music and appreciate music. I think games are becoming the same way. Right. So there's, you know, there's, there's still triple a first person shooter video games. There are people that you see all the time here in New York city where we are right now. i um, on the subway playing games on their iPhones. There are people doing tournaments at, you know, game cafes. There's several here in New York city. um, there's there's just a million ways to be a, I don't know maybe a million is high. There's an increasing right. l- number of ways to to appreciate get deep into games.
0: One thing that is probably different about you versus you know the person who breaks out Scrabble a few times a year is that you are actively trying out new board games. I think most people probably have you know even if they play board games sometimes probably haven't learned a new board game in a decade or whatever it is you know or is that right is is, is that correct? I guess probably
1: most people don't
0: but, but you are trying new games all the time I have to assume right
1: yes I am I what mean, do you look
0: for in a new game like what do you when you first time you're playing a game obviously you're trying to understand the rules but how are you are are you able to digest it critically the first time you play it
1: we have a joke at the game center where I teach um, which is uh, that there's this image of a, of a game designer looking at the rules to some some maybe obscure board game, maybe a game that a, a student has uh, sent in with their application. And just looking at the rules, you start crying because it's so beautiful, like Salieri in, in Amadeus, right? It's like, oh my God, this game is so beautiful. You, you know? can tell just from the rules? Well, the, it's only really half a joke because I do have to say that after playing so many games... Uh, looking at dozens of new games every semester that my students come up with and evaluating those rules, and then just being a gamer and mm-hmm. playing lots of games uh, over time, I think that um, you do get very familiar with certain patterns and rules. You, you can sort of get a sense of um, you can sort of get a sense of the way that games work by looking at the rules. I will say, though that that the best games always surprise you. So you can sort of get a sense, oh, I see it's one of these kinds of games. Oh, how are they handling player conflict? How can a game surprise
0: you? What, what, What is something you recently saw in a board game that you were like, oh, that's really a creative rule?
1: Well, I just played Galaxy Trucker for the first time.
0: No, that can't be right. You've recommended Galaxy Trucker to me in the past.
1: I have, but maybe I was passing on a recommendation. Oh, my
0: God. I've played so much Galaxy Trucker specifically because of your recommendation. Oh, really? Well,
1: I may have good taste without even playing games, but I did finally— I think you, rec-
0: you knew the designer. I think you had recommended yeah, the designer, which Chvattel, is also an interesting thing. Uh,
1: Chvattel, Vlada Chvotl, who's a, who's a Eastern European— um, I bought he's, Galaxy he's check- Trucker on your recommendation. Really? Yeah, well, I own
0: Galaxy Trucker. He's recommending It's it. a good game, it is right? A good game. right? It worked so out nicely. I, but I'm a so little mad. At you're, not, <laughs> you're not. You're <laughs> not. I did not steer you wrong. So, what, what, what about the rules? So, I know this one very well.
1: Well, that in, in Galaxy Trucker, for your listeners that don't know.
0: Uh, oh, I think everyone knows Galaxy Trucker. Sorry, really? What is, what is it? What is it? No, no, no absolutely not. <laughs> you didn't even play it until recently. So, so what is it?
1: Galaxy Trucker is a game. You you probably asked me which games. Was I looking forward to playing? And I probably named Galaxy Trucker, right? Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. I think maybe it was like an... You would recommend The Designer, and that was like an easy way... um, Because that guy also did Mage Knight, which is a particularly complicated game. It was like an easy way into... Anyway, describe Galaxy Trucker and and what it is about it that impressed you.
1: Galaxy Trucker is a game that is... Interesting because it combines a kind of wacky real time meaning we're not taking turns. We're just grabbing at stuff on the table and trying to build our spaceship as quickly as possible. Now, building a spaceship in this game, it's like putting together a little labyrinth because there's yeah, these little, little pipes that have to connect with each other they're and like
0: cardboard tiles exactly that you like make build a little spaceship out of. So, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a, so you're so you're turning over these tiles. You're sort of looking for the pieces that you need. There's a there's a uh, a timer, a sand timer with the, with time running down, uh, and you're trying to get all of that done in time. So you're, um, uh, you do that, and everyone tries to build the best ship possible, and then you go through this series of kind of random encounters, basically seeing how well your ship fares. Yeah, they test the
0: metal of the ship that exactly. you built out of these tiles. And
1: so you can sort of choose to focus on how you want to get points. Do you have a ship that ends up with... Uh, good engines, so that you are really always moving farther ahead. Because the first ship that fin- that that ends in first place mm-hmm, does well. Are you go defensively? You've got lots of shields and protection. Do you have lots of lasers? So you can fend off pirates if they come. Are you aiming to collect a lot of cargos? So you put a lot of cargo bays in your ship. It's really a delightful little game. But okay, so but the question is, why is that game interesting? Why does that game have a rule? Well, in that case. I have a rule that 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 could be you know seen as beautiful, let's say. So, in that case, the chocolate and peanut butter within Galaxy Trucker is that you have this um, fast-paced. I don't want to say Jenga-like, but there's a sort of physical skill yeah, yeah, almost yeah. in in how you are quickly trying to put together so there's hand-eye it's very coordination sloppy, but like, yeah uh,
0: intentionally so right. I think
1: right and then but then that's combined with these these sort of random encounters that end up being very unexpected that that are that are somehow subtle but simple to execute at the same time and so there's this there's this kind of fast-paced frantic ship construction that's combined with mm-hmm. these events that your ship sort of plays through And it ends up being a lot of comedy. And I think that you don't often see a game that's comedic um, that also has these layers of strategy. I mean, there are games that are comedic. Charades is a comedic game, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or or games in the kind of uh, apples-to-apples, Cards Against Humanity genre are often very comedic. But this game is comedic in a different way. It's sort of like this funny tragedy where you you've you've constructed this little creature this little pet spaceship of yours that you then uh uh inevitably see fall to pieces as it's sort of hit by asteroids and you know uh, uh and pirates attacking yeah. you and that kind of thing there's a good
0: joke in the instructions which i've read out loud to friends more than once which is like when they're explaining how you want to build the ship it's like and then you want engines, and you want as many engines as possible. Then you want cannons, so you want as many cannons as possible. And then you want shields. I bet you're thinking you want as many shields as possible. Not right. You want, like, I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> play, it's just like right. there's like, a. I mean, this is not hilarious, but it's just like a joke in the writing. Right. So there is a specific tone to that game. I do think you recommended it because of the designer, which makes me wonder, like, are there designers whose work you pre- specifically appreciate? And then, like, what about it do you, what do you enjoy? Like, what do you see? I don't know. Is there a designer you appreciate? Like what's their, what's their trademark? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, we're here today talking about appreciating board games, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways in to appreciate tabletop games. You could talk about the history and understanding how games relate to each other over time. You could talk about what we just were, which is more like how the mechanics fit together and the rules. You can talk about how there are games that are just great pop culture Right. That that really um, were the aesthetics of the game or the characters of the story or maybe the way that they are sort of inappropriate um, relative to culture at large is interesting. But, you know, then there's also the idea of the designer who created it, who's the studio or person that created it. Um, So, yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of designers that are important. I don't want to plug my my program, but at NYU, at the Game Center, we have this class called Games 101 where we go through the history of games, sports, ancient board games, uh, video games. We have a lot on, on contemporary uh, tabletop games through the 20th century and and, uh, and into this century. So, so there are certain designers that I think are important to know if you want to consider yourself uh, a connoisseur or an expert or let's just say literate in in, uh, in, in tabletop games. Well, I mean, there are some designers... It's not
0: like guy who invented Monopoly, which is a woman, I think, actually, but it's not like the person who invented... You know, like, they're not right. household names. Right. So who are they?
1: All right, well, maybe... One of the most famous living tabletop game designers is probably Richard Garfield. Mm-hmm. Richard Garfield is the designer of Magic the Gathering. You heard of it? Well, that's a game that really invented a new genre. Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that you know incredibly impactful in terms mm-hmm. of um uh, combining basically baseball trading cards right this idea that like oh I'm gonna have a different set of cards than you have and then we're gonna create a subset within our cards uh of our own deck and then then play against each other so so that game Magic the Gathering. Uh, by the way I'm horrible at dates. I don't I think it, I think it came early out in nin- the
0: early 90s. Early
1: 90s I think it may have come out. And so that that really reinvigorated the the tabletop game industry mm. in the in the west. Um in the west in, in the United States but you know also um ultimately in Europe and also actually, actually really impacted the the uh, the the video game industry too. I mean this the I think the whole idea today of virtual items and virtual goods that you sort of, oh, get a free to play app on your phone, but then if you want to upgrade your vehicle or your character mm-hmm. a little bit, all of that is in some ways indebted to to uh, collectible card games or trading card games in terms of the the business model and how it integrates with the with the gameplay model. What I also really love about collectible card games is that it blurs the line between players and designers because it's not just about my deck versus your deck. It's the whole design process of thinking about the universe of cards and then culling from that universe, designing your own little deck. So it's kind of like you get to be the athlete, but right. also the manager. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's fun. Uh, owner of the team.
0: What makes this is a, a, almost a stupid. That's just
1: one example. I have got more examples of famous designers if you want. But give that's me one right. more. Give me one more. Well, I mean, I think
0: uh, uh, because who do you love, who's like, who's your guy? Well, all right, let, or our lady.
1: Let me let me say that the probably the most influential tabletop designers possibly of any game designer ever would be uh Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. that is a that is a game Dungeons and Dragons which today probably might even feel a little bit dusty and sort of uh conservative there are things that while that game didn't necessarily invent them all it brought them together in the 1970s in a way that became lasting and impactful on the history of games. Things like there's a player, a player has a character, the character has stats and attributes. Uh, The character has a class, a level. You get experience points over time. There are things like armor and hit points that cause, you know, attacks cause damage that reduce your hit points. These kind of things that we sort of take for granted now, like, you know, I'm playing a Facebook game and it says I'm level 12 in my Farmville clone. Right? So, all of these things, again, they didn't necessarily originate at the point of Dungeons & Dragons, but Dungeons & Dragons brought them together. And that game is just so influential on in everything from Doom to Civilization to, you know, to, to today's uh, explosion in interesting indie tabletop role-playing games. So there's just, I don't know, that that game Dungeons & Dragons is is uh is just incredibly influential for, for for and talking about appreciation i think that if anyone is interested in the history of that game there's this book by john peterson playing at the world uh which is this incredibly detailed history of dungeons and dragons
0: when people say like oh this game is fun or i enjoyed playing this game what, what are they saying like what what makes a game fun when you get right down to it what, what do you look for in a game what are the qualities of a good a yeah, board game? Yeah, you know,
1: there are some people that hate that word fun.
0: Oh, so fun isn't necessarily one of the qualities of a good board game? Well,
1: it's not that people don't like the experience of fun, but that... These guys sound
0: like a blast to hang out <laughs> well, with, by the way. <laughs> But the
1: question is, like, because fun becomes this big gloss over, is it fun or not? And actually, I mean, could you say the same thing about um, about music? Like, there's... oh what do you like about what, of all the music that you like do you yeah. like the same thing well I like this because my parents hated it when I was a little kid and it was full of bad words I like this music because it's good to dance to I like this because it mellows me out I like this because I know the band I yeah. like this because I'm really deep into this genre Right. anyone
0: that's ever listened to music or has watched a movie is aware that there's like some that they love that are definitely not fun but aren't game, are games not supposed to be fun is well that
1: they are so when I say there are people that hate the word fun I, I don't mind the word fun but we always want to go deeper so okay. if, yeah, when yeah, I'm yeah, teaching my students always want to say, "Well, what kind of fun is there?" Mark Leblanc has this uh, typology that I think he calls eight kinds of fun, and there are things like everything from like. Narrative and role playing, becoming a character in an imaginative mm. world, to construction and building, okay. to competition, okay. to social yeah. fellowship and the camaraderie, social camaraderie that you get with a game, to things like becoming a master of the rules, to even being mastered, right? Like, like the idea of like playing pachinko, where you're sort of giving yourself over to fate, right. and like, so there's all of these different layers of pleasure. You know, even even listing them makes me uh, sort of gives me tingles. that's yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's amazing to think about the varieties of pleasure that we get playing games what you get playing tennis or basketball uh, even tennis and basketball already are totally different but something very different than you'd get playing settlers of catan or poker or something very different than you'd get playing a local multiplayer uh you know deathmatch kind of game uh, on a console it's just so so i think there's all of that but i do i do agree with you that fun is important. The weird thing about games is that we play them for pleasure, right? At mm-hmm. least in a classical sense. Maybe you're playing some punk rock game where you know it's just going to frustrate you and that's okay. Or maybe you're playing some educational game where the main point isn't fun. But, but generally, we play games for fun. And I often think about it like food. Where it's like, okay, you can be an experimental chef and make this oyster look like a banana or vice versa. You can do strange, weird, you know constructions on the plate and, and surprise your, your, uh, your diners. But if the food doesn't taste good, just tastes good on some level. If it really tastes like dirt, no one will eat it. So there's a funny base level kind of pleasure. Even if you're making a culturally sophisticated statement about the history of cooking or about your cultural influences that you're mixing in some totally unexpected way, the food still has to taste good. Now it's still subjective, right? Someone may not like spicy food. Someone may not be a dessert person, right? So there's still, there's still going to be subjectivity, but there's also some kind of a agreed upon sense of what, Good cooking generally is, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's kind of similar with games. Um, some people are not going to have the patience or, or even smidgen of interest in learning a huge rule book sure. and doing something complicated. So, so there's still going to be subjective difference. But I also think that we can usually recognize like when a game is working and not working. For example, that you know the weird thing about a game is that a game is is also kind of like a machine, in that it's like well. If the first player to move always wins because you get a big advantage, that game is broken. Right, it's just broken. Why would you play? Right. So, so there's certain basic ways that the system of a game can be balanced, but beyond that, I don't. There, we're we're what we're really talking about is aesthetics and beauty, right? Because and and. We can put rules around it and say, well, you know, a game has to be balanced. A game, the form and content of a game has to, you know, have a good match. We can talk about that too. Um, but, but what makes something beautiful, I think, is ineffable. Mm-hmm. I think it's that's sort of like we're in the realm of the sublime. I don't want to get philosophical, but you know, like the 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 sense of pleasure that you can't put words to, because once you put words to it, you're kind of bringing it into the rational light of consciousness. And I think the best aspects of things that really give us pleasure are somehow at least a little bit in the realm of our beyond our conscious understanding.
0: So, with all that in mind, this is like the worst follow-up question. By the way, it's
1: probably most this is the most pretentious thing ever said about right? That's what
0: I was looking for when I asked that question. All right. So
1: now, I thought you were going to say that's what I was looking for when I asked you to to uh, be on the podcast.
0: But so if I this is now like now. I want to ask like, so what are some games? What I realize now if I ask like, what are some games I should have? That's just like being like, what should everyone on earth eat for lunch today? You know, you're talking about like these different things, people are working. But even with what you just said in mind, like are there go-to recommendations that you think everyone who's just stuck with Monopoly and Scrabble could kind of like, if they want to get one or two to kind of refresh their closet for like a snowy winter, what, what could that? what do you have recommendations?
1: Wow. That's a really interesting question. Um, I you know this is for a general audience. I, yeah, so, I know. So we gotta I go know. Broad here, but it's that, not like um, I, I okay. I think there should be a new profession that's like a loodoo-yay. It's like a sommelier for games. Yeah, that's right? so good. Yeah, yeah. So you just you, it's someone that, and I would not be this person because I you know I make games. I teach game design. I don't have a, a 500,000 games at my fingertips, but I do think, and I do think these people do exist, they work at these board game cafes. Yeah, yeah. That there's a lot of them in Europe and, and actually in places like Korea now. In, in, in New York. Yeah, and in, and now in Brooklyn, Manhattan too, so. so um, let, but I, ca- I can make some recommendations. Let me throw some hype,
0: okay, give me your, give uh, no, I want to no, hear, hear your overall recommendation then I'll give you like a few specific scenarios. Okay. What are your overall recommendations?
1: Well, I think, It's always about a specific scenario. For example, if you feel like there's someone who is going to ultimately like a game like Settlers of Catan um, because it's a little bit more rules and strategy than they've had, but they may feel intimidated on their first game, I would recommend something like Pandemic, which is a game of that kind of strategic complexity, but it's cooperative. So you can sort of start getting into more complicated strategy games but you do so um, by c- collaborating with everybody else. So that that can often be a really fun way into games.
0: What about, like, I have friends over a lot. I have, like, seven to ten friends over, and, like, booze is involved. So, like, you know, it's, it's not rowdy. We're going to play a game, but, like, also we, can't, we don't have time to go through the 30-page instruction booklet.
1: All right. Can I recommend one of my own games? Yeah, of course. Because I'm shamelessly self-promoting. Uh, please. Well, I just published a game... With uh, local number 12, it's a collective that's me, John Sharp, and Colleen Macklin. It's a game called The Metagame. It is a game that's in the fictionary Balderdash apples to apples sort of genre where you have cards uh, that let you share opinions and make comparisons. Um, but the interesting thing about The Metagame is that isn't just one game. It comes with six different sets of rules. So so the game has cards that cover everything from high art, like the Mona Lisa and architecture, to comic books and video games, and everything in between art, media, design, entertainment. Um, and the other kind of cards are opinion cards that say things like, which feels like first love, which should be required in schools, Um, etc. So some of the games involve arguing and debate, Others are more like apples to apples with kind of uh, secret uh, comparisons and trying to uh, to anticipate the judges. Others involve the kind of factual content on the card. So that that's an, that's one example of a game that, that's that's good with that number of people in um, in a sort of relaxed informal setting.
0: What do you hope people who play the metagame appreciate about the game? What do, you, what do you hope they enjoy about it?
1: Well, oh, because we're talking about game appreciation. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I like about the metagame the most is that it's, a, it's like a deck of cards. I mean, a deck of cards that you play poker with or, or solitaire or euchre, it's like a game OS, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the idea is that it's like, oh, well, here's the hardware, and then we're going to run the software. We're going to run these different game rules on this deck of cards, so the metagame is kind of similar. we've made our own OS and we published it with six different games. We actually have four more that we 're working on and, and and more all the time so we're 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 I love the idea that that I can make a thing which then new games can kind of be born out of it a little bit. It's kind of like the trading card. Game idea where you know mm-hmm. you design the cards, but you don't know what which decks are going to ultimately win in the in the ecosystem of the of the players.
0: What about for a couple a good two player game that like lets them argue without having to yell at each other? You know, so it's like light. You can break it out, play a game in maybe thirty minutes to an hour. Two players.
1: I love a game called Lost Cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the designer's name. I should. I think it's a German game. It is it is it Knizia. I don't
0: think I don't don't know, though. I'm a little bit familiar with both Knizia and the game, but not enough to know if he made it. If only
1: we had access to a wireless information source that could instantly answer any questions. We'll
0: just have to speculate. But the important thing is the game is Lost Cities. and What makes it a good two-player game?
1: Lost Cities is a good two-player game because it is, um, well, just to give a a capsule description, it's a game with a deck of cards, and you are... playing these cards and kind of trying to build sets. Um, And you are um, laying cards out in order, but it's one of these things, it's kind of like a solitaire game for two people. I'm trying to build my sets. You're trying to build your sets. I'm trying to see where you're focusing. You're trying to see where I'm focusing. And um, uh, it's competitive, but in a kind of indirect way. Like a lot of... German style strategy games We're competing over resources and position, but we're not actually attacking each other. So it's sort of friendly that way, but it's still a very tight game, a very fun game, a very replayable game.
0: You know, let me ask you all this experience, trying different games, studying them, pulling them apart and seeing what makes them work. Does it actually make you better at board games? Are you like a force to be reckoned with? Even the first time you pick something up and you're learning the rules.
1: Um, I like to think so. Uh-huh. I'm pretty good at, at board games. On the other hand, I play with people also that are aficionados of, of, uh, of games as well. So um, I think that there is definitely a set of skills that you learn and hone and refine that, that do transfer across different games. Whether to, they transferred anything in real, in real life, who knows?
0: But but I have to assume that for you, uh, like winning does not equal appreciation. Like you don't have to win the game to enjoy it or appreciate it. That's got to be something different, right? No,
1: I do not have to win to appreciate a game. But if I'm really frustrated with not winning, that's a sign that the game really grabbed yeah. me, right? So I think that it's you know it's like saying, well, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, so I can appreciate the rhythm of the editing and and this cut and the lighting and everything. On the other hand, you also want to be swept away emotionally mm. into the story of a film, to some degree, right? And that's yeah. that that may be the measure of whether or not the film's tugged at your heartstrings.
0: I was saying to a friend who I often play Catan with, he was saying that he when we, when we were playing Catan that he is. I said Catan. I know, I know. I mispronounced I, I, it, or I don't know. I, right? Know, I actually spoken to Klaus Toyber, who designed it, and I asked him, but I and I Named think he said I think he said Catan. But I was like, "Oh, I can't switch now. Can I keep saying Katan?" And he said, "Yes." And I was like, "All right, great. We're going to roll with it." So, but anyway, the point is just that, like, when I'm playing the game, I'm extremely—it's extremely important to me who wins. But five minutes after, like, I've completely forgotten it already. Like, it—it it already happened. Like, I don't keep track of my overall win-loss record. But just like while we're in the game, it's very—you know—I'm like, I'm in it, right?
1: But that's—I mean—that's another amazing thing about games. That we were listing Mark LeBlanc's typology of of fun. Social fellowship is one of them. So, the idea that like there's the game, but then there's also the communities that form around a game. There's the interaction that you have with your friends in the context of a game before, during, and after. I mean, there's an amazing thing about a game, which is like, uh, you know, we see it in games like boxing, where it's like, I can actually punch you in the head until you are unconscious, which law doesn't normally permit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 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 so games let us do things. That are transgressive that we wouldn't normally be able to get away with. To a lesser extent, in a board game, or maybe to a lesser physical extent, you're my friend, but for the purposes of this game, you're right. my you're, you're my enemy. Yeah. You, we might be trying to deceive each other to to out out outbid or out bluff or outthink each other, um, sneak around behind each other's back, and there's there's something wonderful in that that our that our social relationships can kind of stretch and blend and transform. Uh, into something else, so so I agree with you. But we do want to return to reality, which is the kind of five minutes afterwards thing.
0: Let me ask you this last question. You know, the w- one thing that makes board games unique as opposed to movies or music is, if I want to play them, I got to get some people together. I right. got I got to like get get a crew together. I'm sure you must have encountered people in your life who are unenthusi... and this I know I know, but people who are unenthusiastic about board games, right? Like people who are not into them. Or do you?
1: Um, sure. I I mean. I find often that I meet someone and say, Oh, you're a game designer. You make games, you teach about game design. They'll say, Oh, well, i don't really play games. Then I dig a little deeper and it's like, Oh yeah. Well, when college I was, you know, on my volleyball team and that was a life changing experience mm-hmm. or, Every week I'm playing the crossword puzzles in the New York times, or usually if you dig a little deeper, there's some kind of game element in someone's life. And I'm look, I'm a slut when it comes to games. I I'll take them all. I like video games, tabletop games. I like physical games. Do I or like weird experimental. I, you know, I do, I, I'm not a big sports fan, but I, I like sports. I mean, I can appreciate sports The both the design and the spectacle of sports, the culture mm-hmm. of sports. Um, But usually I find, yeah, there's, or yeah, maybe sports fandom, that games do play a role in just about everyone's life in some way or another. So
0: I guess my question was going to be, how do you talk someone who is not that into board games into, you know, trying some, into trying one? And maybe the answer is then to like dig a little deeper, see what element of their life is into games, and then just try to connect that to the card and dice. Yeah, or you
1: just start very gently. I mean, I really do think a game like Apples to Apples or... Uh, or the metagame, that's this very intuitive, very simple rules It's really more about the social interaction of the people is a, is a great
0: place to start. All right, Eric, where can people get the metagame?
1: Oh, you can get the metagame on Amazon.com.
0: I've heard of that. Yes. Uh,
1: and you can also check out our website, which is metagay.me. So it's metagame with a dot before the M-E.
0: And then what is the name of the NYU program?
1: We are the NYU Game Center. So if you look at gamecenter.nyu.edu, you'll find us. We're the Department of Game Design at Feels NYU. Feels like
0: an educational program in NYU, but I think if someone listening to this episode, cool. they might be very interested. I should in also
1: it. say that it's uh, during the academic year, meaning like you know September through May, we have tons of events at our at our program. So if people are in the New York City metro area, we have free lectures and workshops and talks. Just about every week, so check out our website.
0: I played some of your students' games at IndieCade East, and it was very fun. Mm. Very cool. I played some good ones.
1: Thank you for saying that.
0: go buy the metagame, sign up for a design program, build your own game, then we'll go appreciate that one. Eric, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Oh,
1: it was such a pleasure, Jeff. Thank
0: you. This
1: Mental Fluff podcast was brought to you by Fiat and the all-new Fiat 500X. If you liked what you heard... Subscribe to an even better you on iTunes or SoundCloud, and be sure to visit mentalfloss.com.